Welcome to episode 14 of the Creative Wellbeing Podcast, a series of real and raw conversations supporting the connection with your unique creative voice to inspire a fulfilling and beautiful life. I'm Jess Fitzgibbon, a musician, writer, and creative mentor. Today, I chat with Carly McDowell about the supportive practice of meditation. Meditation has become an absolute essential to my well-being and creativity. And whether you have a current practice or you're curious about starting one, we hope this episode will provide some inspiration and insights into this deeply nurturing and grounding practice. Carly is a mother, Vedic meditation teacher and mentor based in Mona Vale on Sydney's northern beaches. Carly is passionate about providing stories of hope and healing for others, in particular those navigating the complexity of dysfunctional and or toxic and abusive relationships through the lens of compassion and lived experience. Carly shares her wisdom through conversation on her podcast, The Shared Road. So we hope you enjoy the stories we share today. Let's jump in. thank you so much for having me in your home today beautiful Carly it's an absolute (laughs) pleasure to see you again yeah Um, I've had the pleasure of joining you on retreat early Mm. last year it was actually my birthday weekend it was the best way to celebrate my birthday to do a Mm. rounding retreat which was meditation Mm. based and then also did a beautiful rounding day with you last year. So mm. we'll talk a little bit about what rounding is for yep. the people who are confused. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but let's start with um, your journey with meditation. Um, how did it begin? Like, do you remember the very first time you meditated and how that mm. felt? So I remember my very first yoga class and that would have had an uh, an aspect of meditation to it. Yeah. Usually in a yoga class, there might be five or 10 minutes of that. And often you're not necessarily guided through meditation. You're in a yoga class. Mm-hmm. Um, you might just be there in a kind of moment of stillness. And you, I guess you have a little taste for what that experience might look like or feel like, but you don't really understand the inner workings. Mm. So my first yoga class was when I was 17. I, um, I was in Balgala. I'd moved out of home and I guess I was on an inner journey from, yeah. from that age. And then more deeply into meditation, I moved to Melbourne when I was 21 and I started going to a meditation group every Sunday and that meditation group exposed us to lots of different techniques and so that was really I I had a real inner calling for meditation being part of my life I knew that even from the yoga class Um, and so I've tried many many different techniques but yeah it's been over 25 years or something of various different practices wow yeah what was it about meditation that sparked this sort of yearning to continue exploring it, do you think? I felt a deep inner connectedness. Um, It was, I was just naturally drawn. Mm. 
But there was something in that yoga class in particular whereby I knew that it was going to be part of my life. Mm. I knew that I had healing to do, although I wouldn't have expressed it as healing. Yeah. Um, and I just was on a real seeking journey mm. and felt that that was going to be the pathway to support mm. um, for myself. And, yeah, it just evolved. It's always been there and just in different capacities, I suppose. Mm. Um, I was working in the corporate world when I was all through my 20s and moved from Sydney and Melbourne and London with that job and it was super fun. But uh, yoga and meditation was always in the background. Mm. I was always looking for, you know, my favourite yoga studio in London Mm. or wherever I went. Um, And it was certainly fewer and far between back then. It wasn't like on every corner like it is now. Um, And, yeah, there was just that always that seeker within me which was – probably unhealed parts of myself that Mm. needed support Um, and yeah just wanting to always find the version of myself that would be truest and um, most helpful for all those around me I suppose Mm. for my family and 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 for the desire to be a mother one day Mm. how could I be the best version of myself for my children Mm, so it's beautiful yeah did you find starting off in the group meditation space um compared to doing it solo we doing a mix of both what was your initially you started in a group space yeah 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 group spaces and it was sunday (laughs) evenings and my boyfriend who i moved to melbourne for at the time was a professional athlete and um he thought I was really weird (laughs) every Sunday night I would take off like my trackies and go to these groups in Richmond it was and um I'd come back and sometimes I couldn't even explain to him what I'd done or experienced Mm. but I was just wanting to have a really unusual experience that took me outside of like my normal life Mm. you know like that just kind of helped me learn about you know, the nature of the mind. And Mm. so each meditation group, we'd learn a different technique. So one might be, you know, focusing on a flame flicker or another one might be a visualization technique. Mm. Um, So I had exposure to many different techniques and it was just nice to be part of a group, I suppose, Mm. and find new friends. Mm. I was trying to find my feet in a new town. Um, So that was really, really supportive. Um, But I didn't necessarily find a technique that deeply stuck Mm -hmm. or resonated. Mm -hmm. And and the group was about exploring many different practices. So it was really wonderful. But I still never felt like I got meditation. Mm -hmm. I was doing the things, Mm -hmm. but never really felt like a practice landed where I understood what I was doing Mm -hmm. and what was happening Mm -hmm. and if I was doing it right or Mm -hmm. not or Mm -hmm. what the outcome could be and I was reading all the books like it was back when the power of now came yeah. out and you know I'd go to the esoteric bookshop and buy all the books and I was still like I'm not really getting it <laughs> like I it's so funny you know 20 years later when you read those books it's like oh I so get this I'm all over it but yeah you know different levels of consciousness mm. um don't necessarily sort of things don't click or resonate 
I remember having that book on my bookshelf in my early 20s and trying to read it and just not getting it. And, yeah, now I've read it like four times. But, yeah, it's like, I don't know, there's something life experience hasn't progressed enough to Mm. really understand something. You're sort of just dipping your toes in the water or something Mm. that you're curious about and know it's going to take you somewhere, but maybe you're not ready yet. Yeah, not ready yet. (laughs) So what changed for you? Like Mm. you were in this corporate world and Mm. you were sort of – dabbling with lots of different meditation techniques like did you then find something that did start to stick or something that really resonated I got sick of (laughs) dealing with the corporate world I hated presenting I hated standing in front of groups and talking and wasn't even anything I was passionate about I really loved the people that I worked with they were all like my best friends and we'd go away on weekends together and it was a branding and design industry and it was super fun and you know I had big blue chip clients and I used to get so nervous presenting it was funny um and really we were just talking about tiny teddies and (laughs) Bond's underwear and whatever (laughs) Um, and I got to eat Tim Tams off the chocolate line so that was hot melting Tim Tams that was a perk but otherwise I was there just having fun with the group of people that I worked with um knowing that deep within myself I was not living a life that was like true to me. Mm. It didn't feel natural or anything I was passionate about. Um, and so in the background, I was always like, I think I want to be a yoga teacher, although I don't want to stand in front of a group of mm. people and teach yoga. Mm. Um, but I knew that I wanted to um, kind of explore that more deeply. And mm. I think my journey with all of this has been about my personal journey. So to become a yoga teacher was really for myself. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, um, so I left. I left corporate and actually moved away with my then partner, who became my husband. Um, left Sydney. Um, actually, fell pregnant and um, decided that my new chapter of my life was going to be evolved around yoga. Mm-hmm. So, um, actually, the year before I fell pregnant, um, because I left corporate. Um, I decided to do that teacher training there and I'm just trying to remember all the pieces. Um, and I (laughs) just had a blank. I'm like, where am I going in my life? Yeah, it probably was like that actually. Um, so I went off and did my yoga teacher training and, I actually started teaching in this little um, beachside town in central Queensland and it was really lovely and I guess I was weaving my personal journey back into, okay, so motherhood had started, I can teach yoga on the side and Mm. that's a beautiful thing and Mm. it all felt really connected. Um, And then I got, uh, I did a couple of rounds of my yoga teacher training in between both children and then, um, and then got lost in the toddler years mm. and all sorts of things and moving. And then fast forward a bunch of years and I'm separating um, with two small children that were about three and five and I needed to reconnect with my journey and my mm. practice. So I had been looking for again, I guess a support community Mm. of people that were separate from my existing world that Mm -hmm. I could kind of 
go and be with on a Sunday night. Oh, it's funny, actually, that just came full circle. And that's what actually happened. And so it became Sunday night groups and I'd learnt this beautiful practice called Vedic meditation that a good friend, a school friend, had recommended. And I actually hadn't heard of it, although I'd heard of transcendental meditation, which turns out to be much the same. So... I learned that and it was an instant connection for mm. me and deeply supportive at a time when I was separating. And when I was learning, the teacher had said to me, I think that you'll be a teacher of this. Mm. And I was like, I think so too. I can just feel it. I felt deeply connected the, the first day of the course. Mm. I just dropped in and I felt supported and I understood what was going on. And all of a sudden, all these years of meditation and yoga all made sense. Mm been leading to something yeah mm. so that's how it sort of landed for me mm. again all through you know not forced all through a natural mm. evolution of my personal mm. life mm. and what I was looking for mm. so how did it practically support you like what were the ways that you saw it changing you or your life around you mm. um what were the ways that you found it supported? So at that time in my life, I had, I was dealing with a lot of complexity and stress. Mm. And I realized that it, I was very quickly realizing that it wasn't just in one area of my life, that I had kind of complex relationships all around me within family and within relationships and, and, and mostly that, less so friendships. But um, I started to realise that I had things that I needed to sort of sift and weave through and and shift and, and move away from and mm. and also um, find ways to, to say no to people when I was sort of in survival mode. Yeah. And all of a sudden I had this sort of it just gradually happened, but like I, I became more connected to myself and an inner knowing of things weren't right and how do I say no to people? How do I um, protect and look after myself and my children first and foremost? Um, and how do I do all of this while still being Carly and not, um, not being, you know, made to feel that I was a mean or horrible person by sort of standing up for myself Mm. because people didn't know me to be that way. Mm. So it was supportive because it expanded my awareness. It Mm -hmm. gave me clarity at the time of what I needed to do. Um, And I was really, really dealing with a lot of um, tricky stuff in my, um, my separation. And I I found it really hard to explain to anyone what was going on, but I had a deep inner knowing and mm. I just had to stay really connected to myself to be able to move through that. So it was clarity and awareness mm. and a way to nurture myself and just give myself time and um, and also community, you know, mm. also just find people outside of my direct people mm. that um, – you know, might be able to offer me wisdom and support. Mm. Mm. And how would you say it supports you today? Like, 
because we'll go into this in a minute, but with Vedic meditation, which I also practice, we do the twice daily meditation. That's what Mm -hmm. I was taught. I'm sure everyone does their own different versions. (laughs) But um, yeah, like, do you find, because other people who meditate might do it more in a reactive state. So they might be Mm -hmm. feeling um, stressed out and then they go to sit in stillness for that. Mm. Um, Like, how do you find it supporting you right now in your life? Uh, Well, I feel the most content I've ever felt in my entire life. And I've still got stuff going on, as we Mm. all do, in the background. But stuff doesn't stick. Mm -hmm. And when stress is calm, when things, even if I feel in moments triggered, it softens and it slides away. It doesn't Mm. compound. The stress doesn't build up. Um, And so the idea of having a twice daily practice is that you don't get into that heightened state whereby even then trying to meditate when you think you need it Mm. is really reactionary. Um, It actually feels harder to do because your nervous system's, you know, in a state of fight or flight. Mm. So it's harder to settle down. So the idea is that you're clearing accumulated stress within Mm. the nervous system um, so that you can deal with it ebbs Mm. and flows and the stresses that come and go, um, but with greater ease. And I guess that's how I feel in my day-to-day life. I wake up and I'm excited for the day. Mm. And even if there's something stressful going on, which there is significantly in Mm. my life at the moment, I don't wake up in a state of stress because of it. I'm Mm. like excited for the day and there's all these beautiful other things to look forward to. Mm. And yes, there's that that thing that Mm. I've got to deal with um but I can deal with it from a really grounded place Mm. because I haven't allowed my nervous system to go into that state that it actually was in for a really long time like Mm. if I think back I was operating from that and I didn't even I didn't even know it just became the norm from Mm. childhood Mm. you know so it supports me in every way in decision making in terms of deeply trusting in terms of knowing when to surrender it doesn't mean I don't go to friends and ask for support yeah. or, you know, need to just vent or whatever, whatever. But I I actually don't need that for guidance. Mm. It's mm. it's it's just nice to kind of release that energy from time to time in mm. a in a safe space, but I don't I don't need to go to anyone anymore and say, How do I do this? Mm. You know, I've got I've got my own back because I have this deep in a sense and knowing and trusting of who I am. And um, I really don't believe I would be in this place with the the stress that I've been through in my life without this practice. So mm. I'm deeply grateful. Mm. So maybe you could explain a little bit about how your practice works. Mm. So Vedic meditation is a mantra-based technique and art form. And so... A mantra is a sound or word uh, that has no meaning and in the Vedic tradition it's it's used to basically seed within consciousness and allow us to go beyond our mind. And so it's used effortlessly and really naturally um, as a tool that we don't fixate on. So there are techniques in meditation that can be concentrative and there are also contemplative techniques so concentrative might be that you're really focused on a 
a sound or you're really focused on your breath or you're really focused on an image and you've got to stay with that. Mm. Um, and, and that can be tricky because the mind likes to wander. And so sometimes when we feel that we have to concentrate on something, it can actually make the experience more stressful because if the mind wanders, you just start to create a story that you can't do it and mm. that you can't meditate and I'm, I'm not able to because I'm too busy or mm. I've got ADHD or I've mm. got this or I've got that. Um, and then, you know, contemplative um, techniques might look like, um, you know, imagining sitting on the shore of a beach and going into a visual experience and contemplating um, whatever that might be. Um, and there's, you know, focusing on candlelight and various other techniques. Um, with Vedic meditation, we are transcending the mind, but we're doing it really naturally and effortlessly with this mantra. And we just gently guide the mind inward by use of the meditation mm. technique and mantra. And it's a real art form in the way that it's taught. It's, um, it's not intuitive, you know. There's a reason for why it's taught mm. over four days. And obviously there's a lot of other knowledge aside from the technique that comes mm. in the course. But um, the idea is that we sit in that practice twice a day for 20 minutes. Um, our nervous system gets the reset that it needs at that 20-minute mark. And we're also not just setting ourselves up for the day, but we're clearing accumulated stress that's occurred throughout the day mm. by doing the second meditation. So you notice the impact deeply when you do it twice daily. Mm. Of course, many people learn the practice and just use it when they want to and they don't necessarily get into any habit and that's fine. Mm. But once you've had an experience with the practice and, you, and it drops away, you'll notice it. You notice it pretty quickly. Yeah, I can certainly attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. think like learning it and I liked that it was taught to me rather than um, like because I'd been meditating for probably five years previous to learning Vedic, just using apps like Calm and mm. um, doing guided meditation. And then at one point I just felt I wanted to be in silence. I didn't need like the guided voice anymore. It was actually distracting me yeah. from feeling present. Um, and also I wanted a longer length. I found the 10 minutes on the car mm. maps were too short. And then if I did longer ones, I sort of would sometimes fall asleep. Mm. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what I'm mm. doing. So there was something beautiful about being taught by someone mm. and, you know, the opening ceremony and having a ritual around it really, I think, is what grounded me in the practice mm. as well, making it a special thing and also investing in something mm. that I now consider probably it's it's definitely one of – I don't do many things every day, but I do that every day. Mm. And um, for me, I say to my friends when they ask me about it that the morning one really – stops my morning mind from going crazy. So I used to wake up and just have my to-do list flying through my head and the stress of the day hitting me. And now waking up to that practice, my mind never gets to that place. Mm. And then the afternoon one acts like a re-energizer for me. And yeah. I feel like I've had a cup of coffee or something. I just yeah. feel instantly revived. And mm. if it gets pushed back to later in the evening, like, I'm like, why am I feeling so sluggish? And right. it's because I haven't done it. Yeah. And then the morning one, if I'm feeling irritable or um, like my mind's running away, it's because I haven't done that meditation. Yeah. So 
I do do it religiously every day just because it works for me. But then as life happens, sometimes like Mm. something needs to come first and it's my body that actually shows me that it's Mm. missing something. How does it work for Mm. you with your morning and afternoon ones in terms of the effects? Well, what you've just explained Mm. about your experience is exactly why those points of the day Mm. um, are recommended for the practice. Particularly the afternoon one, you know, before you've had dinner, um, especially if you've got something on for the evening or you've got children Mm. or whatever's going on in your life, to get through that second part of the day from that experience, Mm. it's, you know, we're meditating also to to have joy in our lives. And if that supports the second half of your day, Mm. then that's a wonderful Mm. thing, you know, rather than leaving it till till bedtime, Mm. um, which you still can do. But, you know, as you know, you're just starting to go off into a sleepy time state and Mm. you don't necessarily reap the benefits Mm. of what an afternoon or early evening practice will give you. Mm. So it's absolutely energising. Sorry, so what was the question for me? So do you feel your morning and afternoon ones have a similar effect in terms of... Absolutely, yeah. 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 And I'll do the afternoon one. Like I know, for for instance, tomorrow I'm going into the city with a friend sort of between four and six. So he's going to drive and I'll sit in the car Mm. and I'll do my meditation Mm. while we're driving into the city. Just say I'm tapping out for 20 minutes and I know that that's how it's going to weave into my day. And so it's lovely. Like it can be used on the go Mm. and wherever you are. Mm. If you're traveling, if you're flying, it's wonderful. Mm. Um, If you're on a bus, there's always space for it. If you're a mum and you're sitting um, in the car just a bit early at school pickup, Mm. you know, Mm. Um, even if it's a minimum tapping out for 10 minutes Mm. just to to take that time, Mm. um, particularly before a busy afternoon with kids. Mm. Um, I used to do it um, while my kids were really little in gymnastics and I'd sit just in the hall with all the kids running around and I'd do it any time of the day, Mm. just wherever I could fit in that Mm. I didn't have to be on Mm. um and with people around me just close my eyes down Mm. and and everyone used to think I was sleeping but I was just (laughs) (laughs) I was just switching off Mm. um from all of that but yeah it's it's supportive I weave it in I mean I'm a mum single parenting on my own so I I have to adapt and you know every day is different and um yeah I just you know weave it into my mornings how it best fits Mm. and my afternoons Mm. sometimes quite often it's at the skate park Mm. (laughs) (laughs) that's the standard Mm. Uh, sitting in my car um, Mm. staying cozy and just closing my eyes down Mm. yeah yeah I think that's a really important point because I think we can get in our minds that things need to be done a certain way and if we miss meditation at a certain Mm. period or if we don't have this certain like a meditation spot that we go to or Mm. you know we can sort of put all these rules around it that it's got to look like yeah and those expectations and it's the same with um how a sit should look like I know for myself you know I've, I've experienced the real presence and stillness that comes from like a very deep meditation practice but most of my meditations my mind is running very Mm. fast and I'm thinking (laughs) and I'm this morning I was thinking about this gig I want to do later in the year and (laughs) I have ideas I have memories pop up and 
It's funny, like even though I keep getting told again and again that's okay, I think Mm. there's parts of me that think, oh, I should be in this stillness, in Mm. this silence. And I remember hearing Pema Chodron, who's a Buddhist Mm. monk, talking about, she's like, I've just got a really busy mind. I think she's like 80-something and she's (laughs) been meditating for most of her life and she's like, I've just accepted that. And I think there is a real part of acceptance we have to bring to the practice. So what would you say to people like me who sometimes are questioning, am I doing it right? (laughs) I think that if you've been taught a practice Mm. where you feel that you understand the technique, Mm. then you're doing it right. Yeah. You know, I think that if we don't understand, um, you know, the nature of the mind Mm. and have a tool that is actually doing the job of taking us into a place with ease Mm. uh, as long as it doesn't feel forced as Mm. long as it feels like comfortable that Mm. when you close your eyes down Mm. you understand the process and what's going on Mm. um, and that it's completely normal to have thoughts Mm. um, but that you still have a technique that can move you away from being attached to those thoughts Mm. and and not going off with the storyline too Mm. much remembering that we're just coming back in Mm. um so as long as you, you've you been taught, I mm. think, uh, yeah, there's got to be a level of acceptance that we can't control our thoughts. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's, for me it is. It's like I'll bring myself back to the mantra, you know, several times throughout. But mm. I think the main thing for me is learning not to judge that the mm. mind has gone off and mm. having that expectation of I should be sitting in silence yeah. and my mind should be quiet because yeah. the reality of that isn't the case no. for me most of the time. No, and nor for me most <clears throat> of the time. Yeah. I find the more stressed I am, the more difficult it is to meditate. Mm. You know, it feels really difficult um, just to 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 get out of that space of just ruminating and whatever's going on for me so that's the reason that we we have a daily mm. practice is that we don't get into that mm. um you know or embedded in a constant state of stress mm. but but stress has come right so mm. there are times when something will happen and you naturally go into stress but um, yeah, that can be when it's most difficult but also when it's most beneficial mm. so it's also learning at a to have a practice that you know you can do it when you are stressed and mm. when you're not and mm. then just you know you know having some tenderness and compassion for yourself in those moments mm. where you feel like you're kind of not getting anywhere with it mm. but um you know not to force it not mm. to and not certainly not beat yourself up about it mm. just some days it's busy some days it's not mm. and take it as it comes yeah would there ever be a day or a time where you or you'd recommend to someone not to meditate? Is there any like state our nervous system can be where you think meditation may not be supportive? Mm, Nothing comes to mind. Mm. Yeah. I think when you're sick, it's really important. Mm. Um, Pregnancy, really important. I can't even imagine Mm. a day or a time when it's not relevant. I think it's the sense of extreme discomfort that, we can sometimes feel Mm. and this sense of sitting in that Mm -hmm. might there's Mm. sometimes this fear that sitting in that extreme discomfort Mm. of I don't want to be sitting here I want to move or I want to do something Mm. that sometimes it feels wrong to be meditating in that moment for some people yeah I can understand yeah Yeah. Mm. I've I mean I've had periods of my life where I've been in 
deep stress and even, you know, and possibly like verging on depression, mm. like one particular point in my life. And I just took everything really gently. Mm. So as uncomfortable as everything was, I didn't, I just didn't force myself to do anything. Mm. If if it just meant that I just needed to sit there and close my eyes, mm. then then that's okay too. Mm. Like I mm. think it's really important to, to listen to your body in mm. those moments and never force yourself to do anything when it's mm. really uncomfortable. It's just, you know, gentle inquiry mm. around why mm. it might be so uncomfortable. Um, but, you know, the idea is that it's obviously going to um, support you through those those mm. those times too but you draw on it when you feel the need mm. um, no one's forcing mm. no one's forcing you to do it um and it's certainly beneficial to do it um it's come up a few times in this conversation I thought to to mention it um you know in a comfortable sitting position but you don't have to sit bolt upright like mm. a yogi mm. to do it um you know I have upright position but I've you know always practiced yoga and mm. Um, and it feels more comfortable for me to sit um, upright. But I, but I also slump in my meditation, mm. you know, mm. like because your body, I'm not thinking about my posture. Mm. I'm just letting the mm. beauty of that magic kind of weave its, weave its ways. And, you know, sometimes I, I come out of my meditation and my head's like in some really uncomfortable position. Yeah. And, and so that's really normal. But it's important to just sit comfortably when mm. you're doing it. You mm. don't want to sit in a, in a position that... Um, I guess brings upon any blockages in the the body. Mm. One of the things when I learned this practice was I, I remember the first thing I asked was like, can I move? Like if whatever, um, I get an ache in my knee or mm. whatever. And she's like, of course, you know, like so you don't put any attention mm. on the thing that's going on. You just take care of it and carry on with your mm. practice. Whereas mm. other meditation techniques, um, Vipassana, mm. um, do not move, like mm. sit in the discomfort, sit in the pain for one hour, you know. Um, I always wanted to do one of those retreats and now I don't think I want to no, anymore. <laughs> I've heard people do it. I'm like, that's not for me. Yeah. <laughs> that really Most people want to run for the hills on yeah. day three or four. Yeah. But, but um, you know, it's an experience. I'm, mm. I'm always up for a new experience. But, you know, certainly now at this stage of my life, I don't want to do anything that's more uncomfortable than, yeah. than what it needs to be unless – the discomfort is worth doing for the mm. sake of mm. a reward on the other side, mm. which might be, you know, supportive in some way. Mm. Um, it's just sit comfortably and if you've mm. got to move mm. and, you know, you've got an itch or whatever's mm. going on, do the take care of it. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's just funny that often in those moments of discomfort, the mind wants to really attach to the doing that we need to be doing and problem solving and that, meditation and non-doing is often the most supportive thing for most humans yeah. and often the hardest thing to yeah. do in our modern world is to not do to sit in the stillness who's taught that we're just taught that by our from our healing journeys mm. and later in life as adults we're not taught any of this as as children i read a mm. really beautiful um post yesterday i can't remember where i saw it but it was Teach your children to slow down. Mm. Show your children what slowing down looks like. Mm. You know, sipping the coffee at sunrise at mm. the beach, mm. going slow, mm. reading that book, you know, just tending to yourself. Mm. Um, and, and certainly no one teaches us 
how to just not do Mm. either and just that this how beneficial this practice is Mm. because there's plenty of doing to be done in adult (laughs) life and taken care of and you know let's do it from a place that feels energized Mm. and calm and grounded Mm. not from overdoing and going hard and Mm. you know I could go into a whole other area of that not being you know from your feminine Mm. energy you know Mm. like let's you know soften into Mm. all these beautiful things and rather than it feel like it's wrong to do or it's self-indulgent or or it's it's too hard because it just feels too foreign Mm. because we've never never just learned to just sit and be and not listen or do or play music or Mm. all of the things are beautiful of course but you know can you just sit in silence Mm. and just be Mm. Mm. there's something about really being present with yourself that I think (laughs) like I often think I'm good at that and then I notice how I'm not at the same time (laughs) like being on the phone is I think for me a good demonstration that sometimes I find it hard to just sit and not do something whilst you're on the phone well yeah because I'll notice I'm on the phone because I'm in this moment Uh, where I need rest uh so it's like a real procrastination tool for me Mm. because I'm too tired to do something Mm -hmm. but then I won't allow myself to do nothing to actually just lie there and look up at the ceiling or look out at the sky Mm. and I think we find these ways of distracting ourselves through yeah like a phone or television or talking to a friend like ways to sort of be in those transient periods rather than just allow ourselves Mm -hmm. to be still (laughs) a lot of people will say you know that's my meditation Mm. or that's my quiet time Mm. or that's my time to and you know like how valuable is Mm. it to Mm. chat to a friend on a phone Mm. it's so beautiful Mm. you always come away nourished well some of the time (laughs) um but um yeah, you know, it, it's it's slowing down is a really beautiful thing, and and how and observing how how comfortable can you be when you're mm. just not doing and not listening and the and I mean to a podcast or you know mm. something something else going on, you know, and I understand that you know that you know watching TV is a way to just tap out of all mm. the rumination and the mind stuff and mm. the stress and the Da, 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 da. Um, it's all valid and mm. I guess it depends on what you're watching and mm. is it like supporting you mm. and yeah there's there's so many rabbit holes there's a there's a time and a place for everything I mm. guess it's just um, you know are, are we avoiding um, what needs to be taken care of or mm. within ourselves mm. by doing that constantly mm. you know yeah. is, it, is it an addiction or is it you know but hey We've all got something. That's it. <laughs> We've all got something and it's just like not beat ourselves up about everything. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. So what inspired you to become a meditation teacher? My children. Oh. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I could cry. <laughs> um, absolutely. I think um, <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I just, you know, I just want to be the most conscious version of myself that I can be and that's ever evolving Mm. you know um monthly daily Mm. (laughs) and oh there's some setbacks along the journey but yeah I mean I think 
not just for them, for me too, but, mm-hmm. you know, like that's really important to me. I think, you know, I shared a little bit about my story with my mother, um, but, you know, it just it just means a lot to me to be to offer them like space for them to be the best versions of their mm. themselves and so i have to take care of me in order to mm. give them that gift mm. Mm. yeah did i didn't catch what you meant with the story with your mother oh okay yeah. um so a lot of what the shared road is about mm. is mm. based off you know i suppose my my really difficult and complex relationship with my mother mm. and um, and that kind of looks like, you know, I mean, do we ever really know the answers to all of this stuff? But, you know, personality disorder, you know, addictions, um, yeah, just a, a, for me childhood looked like pleasing my mother mm. and putting myself second um, or, you know, not even considering myself. Um, and just meeting her needs and so naturally I'm going to end up in relationships with um, um, a conditioned experience that means that I think that that's just the most natural way to do things or Mm. that's what Carly needs to do to maintain healthy connections Mm. is take care of other people and accommodate their unhealthy behaviours because I want to help them mm. and then I lose myself in that journey and yeah it gets messy from there <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose I always wanted um to be a mother that did things differently from mm. the way that I experienced it mm. and you know that's evolution anyway mm. you know like mm. that's and I hope that my children do things a lot better than what I've done them but at least I've consciously tried mm. not, um, you know, not worked and worked on myself mm. through through my life and can, can show them that. Um, I don't have a relationship with my mother at the moment. And that's really hard sometimes to sort of sit with, mm. you know. It's mm. like because I'm coming from a place of compassion and an understanding that everyone's having an experience with life through the lens of their awareness state or consciousness state. And yet, you know, sometimes I can beat myself up about how I can't have space for that, except I also know that that experience means a lot of pain for me. Mm. And there's, you know, a disrespect in the dynamic and Mm. all sorts of things. So my life feels less stressful whilst we're not having a relationship at this point that Mm. doesn't mean forever Mm. but um certain things had to happen and as we touched on before sometimes when you set boundaries with people they Mm. just don't like them Mm. and there's no way around Mm. it so you either stay in relationship with someone Mm. knowing that that's a dynamic and that's a role that you have to play Mm. or you forego the relationship and Mm. when it's family it's a big loss Mm. it's really really hard um but it's lighter my life's lighter mm. i'm freer mm. um but not free from concern for mm. her and mm. you know um we'll see what happens there 
Um, yeah. I can imagine meditation because I know when I'm having, I think relationships are probably one of the most complex things we have to mm. manage in this life. And I know for me when I'm experiencing yeah, just the confusion that can come up around like decision making and the contradictions within all of this and mm. trying to navigate it all. I think that's where meditation has been most supportive because it's again like rather than acting from that place of fear and that unconscious place of like survival and doing things how we know to do them in the past mm. um it's allowing me to have clarity and access like this higher part of me that really wants to take care of me and understands how that taking care of myself is so interconnected with everything yeah yeah and that me really tending to myself and accepting the situation for what it is rather mm -hmm. than trying to you know, fix it or try or do all this thing, this acceptance is what mm. I've found through the practice a lot. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But Thanks for sharing that mm. story. Yeah. My pleasure. Mm. Yeah. Connection to self, that's what we need, right? And that's what meditation is all about really mm. is, you know, how mm. do we connect to who we are beyond mm. the mind? How do we connect to who we are beyond our conditioning, the things we've been told mm. when we were raised by parents that maybe, you know, didn't have an expanded state of awareness and, you know, unconsciously led us to believe that we're something that we're not, mm. you know, unconsciously a lot of the time. Sometimes, mm. you know, sometimes they're really toxic and and they, they you know, are oper operating from another space. But mm. a lot of the time, you know, everyone's human having an experience and unconsciously projecting their own mm. pain and conditioning and beliefs and that's generational trauma and so it goes on but um you know this is the point of it connect mm. to self know who we are beyond mm. all of that stuff that's mm. been said and done mm. and um and rewrite mm. our stories mm. it's beautiful mm. um maybe you can talk a little bit on the shared road mm. and because your meditation teaching is now evolving into yeah. something new. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when I became a Vedic meditation teacher, I I was really thinking that that was just going to be sort of it in terms of my yoga teaching extended journey. Mm. And then, of course, the more we connect to self and 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 practice our meditation, the more creative we get. Mm. And and this next expression and idea came about, which was creating a podcast. Years ago, um, the idea dropped in called The Shared Road, whereby we talk about, you know, complex, toxic, unhealthy relationships, whether it be un in family um, or within relationship, so that we share stories but through the lens of compassion. So compassion for ourselves and compassion for for other, mm. um, but not live in fear of not talking about it because mm. then I feel like it doesn't support any of us. And I sat with it for a couple of years and I was sort of hoping the idea would go away so I didn't, <laughs> so I didn't have to do it because it was really, really scary on a lot yeah. of levels. Yeah. Um, 
and it didn't. And um, I was being mentored um, by a couple of dear friends and then also professionally and for business and personal growth. And, yeah, it really – the confidence to um, develop the Shared Road podcast – came about a couple of years later so that's been that's been running for about a year mm. um although I'm pretty slow with it um slow and steady everything with that's me what matters. <laughs> <laughs> um but it's a delicate subject and really multifaceted um in terms of like personally releasing it and then those that are involved but it's evolving and you know I'd as I said to you before I I, I don't do it to want to stay stuck in the mm. story of of my experiences I just want to share from wisdom and Mm. and coming out the other side where I really truly mean it when I say I feel deep inner contentment and um and to share these lived experience stories Mm. if it if it supports one person in some way then Mm. that's a beautiful thing so just to have discussion around you know what what it's like to have Mm. a a tricky um, relationship with your mother or Mm. within a relationship or and so on. So, so that's evolved, and then mentoring now mm. has evolved. So, not only is a shared road podcast um, a thing, but I mentor people. So, mm. I guess I'm bridging the gap between what might be seeing a therapist, mm. psychologist, um, etc., to talking to someone where I hold space and allow someone to tell their story in a safe and judgmental space from lived experience Mm. but with all my yoga and meditation wisdom Mm. behind it Mm. you know and and really that's yeah there's just aspects of that wisdom that I weave through it but Mm. it's it's really um how can I support people in their lives from an experience that I've a couple of experiences that I've had um, that are pretty significant. I feel like mm. I've, 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 I've navigated some wild and crazy and deeply um, stressful times, and and it's, I'm still standing. So I'm <laughs> going to talk about it and, yeah. and support other people, um, yeah. which I really love. Yeah, and it sounds like you're building a community too that you know you found so supportive in the past, and it's beautiful mm. to now offer that to others yeah yeah and it's amazing how many people like come to my group meditations at the beach you know and Mm -hmm. they're women that might have heard about me through someone and Mm. you know it's not necessarily regarding meditation it's like oh that lady's you know been through something similar you should Mm. connect so some of the people that I've I've met and and now support are people that have just landed down at Monavar Beach for Sunrise Meditation, but for their, mm. for more shared road type mm. related support. Mm. Mm. And just to finish our beautiful conversation off, um, what have you noticed in your students over the years with meditation? How have you seen their mm. lives shift? Mm. I, I've never taught anyone that hasn't said that they felt some immediate relief or support from the practice Mm. so that can look like my you know my doctors um reported that you know my health's in a better state my stress levels um you know have certainly reduced Mm. and and life feels a little bit easier Mm. or um 
people, you know, gaining strength to move out of some really difficult relationships mm. that might have felt overwhelming or mm. um, and in general just you know, I, th- I feel like I'm very connected to a lot of people I've taught, even if it's not seeing them, but just through um, sharing stories, you know, I think um, not just meditation, but just connecting with mm. people and people feeling supported by way of community and just, you know, it doesn't mean you have to share your whole life story with someone, but there's there's a beautiful thing that comes with having an experience with someone where you sit down and you learn a practice and there's a connection that comes with that. Mm. And I think that's really like rippled out in, in many ways. And yeah, I feel community building and that's, Mm. that's a beautiful thing as well as seeing people grow. I've seen marriages, um, fall apart and literally separate down to financial separation and the full-blown thing but going back together Mm. you know beautiful stories Mm. so um yeah everyone's journey is different I think it has a an impact for people in ways that kind of last a lifetime and Mm. it's it's a beautiful thing to be part of Mm. yeah for me it's become like a center point for my well-being Mm. and like you said earlier with the creativity side like Mm. the podcast and I think you know for our creativity it really opens up the space for us to listen and to to hear what life is trying to tell us (laughs) (laughs) because often things once we get still and quiet it's quite clear what is and isn't working. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And we can start to sort of listen and watch the direction that is sort of naturally unfolding Mm. rather than sort of resist and try and stick to these like plans that we often have for ourselves. It's force, right? Mm. So there's more flow, Mm. Mm. more flow. Certainly, yeah, I certainly feel that within myself and letting go of control. And just allowing Mm. and trusting. There's so many beautiful aspects to the practice Mm. that you connect with just naturally. It doesn't, it just all happens. It just Mm. all evolves. Mm. The more you practice, Mm. the more this happens. Mm. So why wouldn't we keep doing it? (laughs) Mm. And I think what you just said then just brought to mind, like there's such a state of ease with it. Mm. And I think, that's like, and now it is such a, um, it's become mainstream in the mm-hmm. West too. Like it's been obviously a practice in the East for centuries, but there's this sense of ease that often we're like, oh, like, shouldn't we be doing more? Shouldn't mm-hmm. this be harder? Shouldn't this be like, because we're not used to actually things being in a state of flow. There's always this sense of needing to push and to try and to produce. And it's like that this allows us to really, um, yeah, access another state, just a state of being instead of right. the doing. <laughs> right. And what a beautiful thing. Like, mm. again, it comes, I always come back to like, we were never taught this as children. Mm. And so what a beautiful thing mm. um, to share, if not with our own children, mm. with other children, mm. you know, mm. that there is another way of being, mm. there is another way that's life supporting, mm. that you don't have to do, do, work hard, hard. Mm. 
and push um, mm. in order to be successful. Mm. Mm. Questions what success is really all about. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Do you have anything else you wanted to add before we finish? No, it's just <laughs> such a delight to yeah. chat with you. It's beautiful. Yeah, thank you really for having enjoy. me. Thank you. Mm. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed what we spoke on today, or if it raised any thoughts or questions, please reach out. We'd love to connect with you and you can find both Carly and my details in the show notes.